I'm going to finish what I started talking about last time and then launch into our next unit this time. I don't intend to take a long amount of time, but we'll see what happens. I really don't. We'll move right along. Sorry about the heat. We turn the air on as soon as we get here at 3 o'clock, but some days are hotter than others. And these are not bad air conditioners, but they don't always keep up all the way. So sorry about that. I've got my cloth. I hope you have cloths or something that you can use. We'll pray for the rest of the Lord so that there's no striving and very little sweating. Praise God for his kingdom. And I'm going to just open up in prayer right now and ask his kingdom to come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God, for your awesome love in our lives. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit. We thank you for your generosity, extraordinary generosity and love that you spared not your son Jesus and his magnificent, precious blood and the the holy, holy, holy spirit you pour out in abundance. And Lord, we ask you for an outpouring of the spirit so that your will might be done in and through our lives, that you might have a people that bear the image of Christ in every way, spirit, soul, and body, and community. Lord, we pray that you will reveal your secrets during this time. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would be brought in deed, in fact, in spirit and in practicality into a deeper, closer walk with Jesus. And that we would experience in our hearts the fires of Holy Spirit revival so that we would not only grasp the mysteries of God, but that we would celebrate them and have a a grace and an unction to be seized by them and to live them out with a whole new grace and a whole new measure of the anointing of God. Lord, we're asking for revival in our city. But here's the way we're asking for it, Lord. Really, any way you want, pour it out. But we're asking for you to revive your people and set your people in motion deeper in the things of the Spirit in relationship with you, in relationship with one another. Lord, so that we might be the community of faith that's filled with and overflowing with God, so that the the very existence of your people, the very existence and glory of the church is revival. So, Lord, we're asking for this kind of spirit, the spirit of God. We're asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we have the practical grace to be and to live the values of the kingdom of heaven that we're talking about. Lord, in that way, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth. We're asking you right now for an overflow of your kingdom. And we speak over every person here who's experiencing any kind of injury, ailment, sickness, or pain in their bodies or in their hearts. In Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, we command, we, we command every dark force that's attacking the people of God to be gone. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. And we stand on the word of God. And Father, we ask you now for a fresh wind to blow through and for you to relieve and refresh your people so that we might be free like, like calves that are released from the stall as the sun of righteousness rises with healings, healing in its wings. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Praise God. So I'm going to pick up where we left off last time. And if you don't have notes from last time, if you didn't think to bring them back, or or you didn't get new ones this time because we don't have them, I'm sorry, but I'm uh, 
that you don't have that, but it should still work just to listen. So, but if you do have your notes, that's, I'm, I'm referring to the very last point, letter C. We were talking last week in unit five about discerning the body, the value system that is the root for the way we're going to gather. A little water break there. Don't mean to be awkward. Sorry about that. We value family. We, we talked about our kingdom triangle, and maybe I'll draw it on the board for you, for those of you who came specifically for my um, artistic talents that I keep referring to. Thank you. Um, our greatest value is the kingdom, and we believe what the kingdom looks like on the earth is, is spiritual family that's on a mission. Family and mission are the two expressions of the kingdom. And as simple as that little chart is, and as easy as it is perhaps to agree with that, I don't think there's a more important concept to grasp in our spirits to understand the burden, first of all, of what is really driving us in, in terms of our, our group and, and the king's people, but really what I believe is on the, the heart of God and is what the Spirit is saying to the churches now, is bringing us back to the organic realities of what Jesus planted when he was here and what the, the apostles spread throughout Israel and the Mediterranean basin and beyond. And that is the kingdom of heaven uh, in a people that, look, that is called the church in Scripture, but has become something quite different with, you know, as the, the wisdom of men have slowly over the centuries replaced the, the wisdom of God. But, but God over the centuries has also been fighting back and bringing us back more and more to what the scriptures actually teach and what they mean. And it really is very simple. It's not difficult to grasp the concept intellectually because it's very simple. And we live it in a lot of ways every day in family and in nature. But in an environment where institutional church is so established, it's created what I call, we're, we're so used to it, and we're so conditioned by it, that at times it doesn't even matter what the Bible's really saying. We read it through a lens of a certain mindset that I would go so far as to call a psychosis, a kind of spiritual psychosis, where we are simply focused on something and defining something that is absolutely not real. And, and making it real. No one even notices. Don't worry about it, bro. <laughs> Don't even feel embarrassed because not a soul noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and so it's, it's hard to see the simple reality of it, that the kingdom on the earth, it, ju it looks like family. Where God rules, there's family. And, and that's what we were talking about this last uh, this, this last unit, but simultaneous with that, simultaneously with that, it looks like mission. It's never just family where the way we meet is what's so important. We want to be different than the other churches. We're not driven by being different. God's got people in every situation just about. We don't have a critical us against them attitude. That's the opposite of the heart of Christ. That would be, you know, we'd be founding things on the wrong foundation. Uh, we, we believe in the meek, gentle spirit of Jesus. We don't have an agenda that's human. Uh, but at the same time, we do recognize that things have been done in such a way that's developed a mindset to keep church from the very thing that it's supposed to be, which is family. But it's family on mission. The kingdom of heaven is not introverted. It is simultaneously family that is spiritual 
and it's missionary at the same time. And the two are intertwined. And so last week we were talking about the family aspect, and this week we're going to talk about the mission aspect. And so I ended starting to talk about some of the practical examples of what our house church gatherings will look like. Now, in doing this, uh, there's a certain risk, but a certain necessity at the same time. I'm just trying to give you practical snapshots of what small gatherings look like. Because these gatherings that I'm envisioning here are not small groups to a larger church. These are the churches. Now, we're going to have a larger identity. I I see these smaller churches uh, getting together in regions. I believe this is the scriptural pattern. We see especially, you know, in Acts and in the, well, in in the Gospels too, with the villages and the, the areas where Jesus sent his disciples. But these house churches are family units that could be probably started with just a few people probably shouldn't go beyond 20-ish, something like that, depending on the circumstances of each one. But part of, part of the problem, I think, in our larger culture is that we have a hard time seeing these smaller units as churches. These are the churches. You know, the, 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 Greek, the Greek phrase, you know, the church according to the house of, it's, that's a literal way of rendering it. It happens a handful of times. The church that meets at so-and-so's house, they, they were churches in homes, and I'm not saying just because they met in homes back then, we have to do it now. We can meet under a tree. We can meet in a cathedral if the people are in the spirit and, and, and they're, they're gathering as family. But for the values of the kingdom to be lived out, there's got to be family units as the grit of the church. They can't be the afterthought. And we have small groups. That contradicts the purpose. It's the family environment that must be captured. In order for us to return to our roots. So if, if we have these peppered throughout a city, then we can easily cluster these for larger gatherings, perhaps weekly or whatever, as the, the different families come together, probably under the, the leadership of an elder who would oversee a region. These led by whatever we would call them, deacons, house church leaders. We don't know. Uh, and these are the areas... Excuse me, these are the the family units in which people are trained also. But we can gather in regions for larger groups, and we want to do that. We like the bigger picture. I I don't have a problem with what we call now services. If they're done well in the spirit, I think they're very valuable. And it it always keeps us in touch with the larger picture. But it's important that we understand the church as family units with good, godly, Holy Ghost leadership that facilitates and empowers rather than conducts and controls. Okay? And the reason why, therefore, it's risky to talk practice and what they'll look like is because we don't just want to define them by their form, but we want the Spirit of God to create the spirit of family within them. On the other hand, it's necessary because people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What can it look like? So what I do is I give you a a list of some practical examples of ways that we can gather as smaller units. But the the real issue is the doing of this is not a formula, but they're tools to grasp so that we can relate to one another and find the treasures in the spirit and in the relationships that define the church. Amen. Is that cool? You know, I thank God for a wonderful wife, five kids. You know, we just sent Janet to college. I thank God for my family. Very precious to me. My family is, you know, one of the most important things in my life. 
you know, God had to heal us in order to have children. Now we have five and we hold all of that very dear. You know, Gina and I were married for a very long time. We were married at 19. You know, we've, you know, we've been married now longer than we were single. And, and, you know, we've crossed that line. It's all very precious to me. It's, it's all very organic. You know, the supernatural was involved, not just the natural, you know, in, in having children and all that. And we praise the Lord for that. But there are still some solid practical things we do as a family to help give us some bearings. You know, sometimes when Gene and I go on a date, we follow like a questionnaire thing. Fires produce some stuff. And, and we also bought a book, you know, of, of things that get us talking about certain issues of the heart. We have no problem doing that because it doesn't define us as a family. Where's the book? Where's that list? We can't do that. You know, sometimes we just wing it. We usually wing it. That's our, I'm, you know, I'm half Italian. Half of what I do most of my life is winging it. You know, I, I really have to buckle down and be like a very systematic person, even though I, I in one sense, I have to have it before me to... To, to exist, it's hard for me to actually do it. It's more of a challenge. Other people, like my daughter, Jana, she just comes naturally. She's up at a certain time, boom, boom. No one taught her that. She certainly didn't get it from me. I mean, I do it to a degree, but I have to force myself. For her, it comes naturally. So for me, family is just this natural, it's relational, you go with the flow kind of thing. But there's times to have certain plans and bearings uh, help us to dig deeper into the relationships that we have. So to have these things in balance is good, and that's why it's, it's, it's even necessary to talk about these things. So here's a number one. I started this last time, and I'm going to go back through them all this time. One of the things that we do, and, and something that should be done frequently in these house churches, is the gathering for the Lord's Supper. But this is just personal. I'm not up here to be a, an iconoclast. If this is just what I feel is kingdom teaching and apostolic witness. But I, I don't even believe in communion. <laughs> I don't partake of communion myself, and I've gotten to a point where I can't do it in good conscience. I don't feel anybody else should have a problem with it, but I'm just in a place in my life where to me that seems too Roman and liturgical and misses the whole point of a family meal, which is in fact what Jesus instituted and the apostles practiced. It was a banquet. It was a meal because it was a social occasion, not just a conference or an assembly. So I don't mean this critically against anyone who, who does otherwise, but the, the roots, both Jewish and apostolic, is the occasion of a meal where families together. And, and one of the main things they did when they got together as a church was break bread. So Jesus would be present in the meal. They would always be remembering their Lord and the grace by which they were saved. And they would interact deeply with one another, just like we all do naturally when we get together. How often do we not have food when we get together? It's very rare. It's like the big, you have people over to eat. You, all, you, you throw in real worship and prayer and sharing the spirit after or before a meal, whatever you choose. And that, that's more naturally what church is, biblically, than, well, some of the alternatives. So the very thing that brings family together has become yet another ceremony, even in the evangelical churches. That's why it's like, no, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I've always been, or for most of my life. So these gatherings should gather around the meal at least often. That's what I would say. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and Paul gives some instructions to correct about the meal, then he gets into chapter 12, which is the gifts of the Spirit. And then further in chapter 12, talking about the equality and honor within the body, 
And then chapter 14, talking about manifesting the gifts of prophecy. All of that belongs to the same social occasion of when they gathered for the meal. It wasn't like sometimes have communion and sometimes share the gifts. That's when they got together in a house, they'd have the meal and they'd have time of prayer and conversation at which the spirit was manifest. So we recommend the same thing. That's my whole point. So number one, the Lord's Supper. It could begin with prayer or worship if you so choose. And then you get into the different courses of the meal, the course of the bread and then the course of the, the wine or the grape juice that you drink. That's where you memorialize Jesus and worship him and let him be the host as well as the guest and the center. And then with the, uh, the, the courses to remember with Passover as the background, there can be again after the meal. A time of prayer. So it's if you share the what we do is we break bread at the beginning and we remember the Lord and then we partake of the meal and have fellowship with one another. Then we close the meal by sharing the cup. We actually have different cups. We remember the blood of the Lord and we invite him in or recognize his presence already there and honor him and remember him. And by the social unity that's created by the spirit, we're demonstrating the gospel. So you'll see how that's a public demonstration later. But but in this case, it's it's the it's the gathered church. And then afterward can be a time of prayer and sharing the spirit where you you then take more time and you've had fellowship and now fellowship with God that goes deeper and prophetic prayer time and sharing the gifts. If that's the way you're designing your 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 family time and perhaps more fellowship. Number two, I've identified just a prayer meeting where you come in with an agenda. We're going to pray. And so you you begin, I would recommend this. This is the way I've practiced it. Beginning with a time of worship, with or without instruments. Instruments always help, they're great. But after some worship, then you, you flow into prayer. And then after praying, honoring each one as each one leads, getting with them and agreeing with their prayers, you rest and you come into a time of quiet when people can, can then share verbally with one another what the Spirit was saying to them during that initial prayer time. We would call that prophecy. And with the revelations or the directions that people are getting through these prophetic times of waiting, you then have a clearer picture of what God would have you pray for during the latter part of your prayer meeting. So gathering the information from the saints prophetically, you then take the different pieces of the puzzle, put them together into the puzzle, and you pray with more knowledge than you had when you came together to begin with. And that would be one of the things you can do. If, and if you feel like, okay, we have a burden to do this, or it just winds up naturally happening, you can either plan it or it can happen spontaneously. But this is another possible format, especially as we get going, and we're learning how to do this well. And we're learning who one another is. Another smaller gathering can be a teaching meeting. It's, again, beginning with worship. And then one or two people who have the gift of teaching. And or they felt during the time together or earlier in the week that there was instruction necessary and God put a passage of scripture or a topic on their heart. One or two people. It's a great opportunity for them to teach, to take whatever time would be appropriate between whatever 15, 20, 30 minutes, you know, something like that, especially if there's another person. Two people can share the word and then it can be discussed Instead of just performed and then everybody leaves, like I'm doing in these teaching sen- uh, sessions, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing it. That's, it's fine to do it in this setting, and things are open to discussion in other settings. 
But in this case, it, it makes life a little bit more real. It's not the untouchable pastor teacher, but it's people with a real gift and real authority. And, they, you know, people should be respected in leadership or when they're sharing a gift. But, but then at the same time in love, there's transparency to mold these things through and say, hey, you know, what, what did you mean when you said so and so? Well, you know, because these things are they're 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 um, they're more complete in a community setting. Same thing with prophecy. You know, people just share a prophetic word that's on their heart. I mean, when we're in a more intimate setting, then it's easier to discuss it a little bit. I mean, the Bible commands us to judge prophecy. It, it's not this such separation where you don't even, you know, well, you kind of talk. You either don't talk, you don't touch the anointed one speaking, or you only criticize in little secret gossip groups. It's like, well, you just blow both of those out of the way by just bringing everything out into the light together. Does that make sense? So here in these teaching meetings, you can have worship and prayer and then let the people share. Then you talk about it. And, of course, the whole assumption is, is that as a family unit, there's always the river of the spirit flowing. People are praying and in contact during the week anyway. So when you come for something that's a teaching meeting that you may have planned, there's the sense of the 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 the. Um, the mind of the spirit when you do that. So you're not just randomly doing it, but it belongs to the larger picture of the gathering or the family sense of what the spirit was planning for that week. Any questions? You can raise your hand throughout. Uh, if if uh, you have a question, it's important to you. Yes, Tom. Are you just sorry the, I have here? Number four freestyle. This takes practice and development uh, freestyle is where you just get together and you're just going to trust the spirit to create the meeting. And, um, yeah. Okay. So freestyle, this takes practice and development. This possibly can begin with worship and then you just go with what the spirit is saying. Different people have different expressions. One may have a prophecy. Another may have a song. Another may have a teaching. If, if a teaching does come up spontaneously, obviously there has to be some kind of uh, self-control so it doesn't go on and on. Uh, I was in a meeting like this before a couple of times, but one stands out in particular. It, it's a lot easier to pull off when you have people who are, have a, a level of development and maturity in the spirit. It's not always possible to do it, especially with newer believers. Even they have to learn how to conduct themselves in the household of God, which includes having to learn how to participate meaningfully in a meeting, especially these intimate gatherings, because you can't get lost in a conference crowd. We're more known to one another. And so newer believers may feel a little bit lost, so they either have to be, you know, protected and, you know, not don't feel the pressure that they have to participate or, or, or let them be a loose cannon where they'll take over and they don't know what they're doing or whatever. Um, but these more developed meetings and new believers have to be trained. Uh, one church planter that is more of a house church from decades ago, actually, a missionary in Indonesia, he would take new believers aside away from the groups and just train them at first, not only in personal discipleship, but in how to be a productive family member so that when they come into the gatherings, for one thing, they have a sense of what's going on. And for another thing, they can contribute meaningfully and not feel awkward at first in the earlier days of being a, a, uh, a disciple. So... Yeah, I was in this this one meeting and it was a, a pretty sizable gathering for this kind of intimacy in the spirit. It was like 50 people, Ben Israel and Minnesota with Art Cats. It was wonderful. You know, one of our we took a bunch of fire students up there. Scott and I took them up and uh, a bunch of folks were with us. Some people that are here tonight were there. 
And uh, this little gal, one of the shyer ones in the in our group, Janet, we all sat, you know, we all met together. There was no agenda. We all just sitting there in this big room. And Janet just bursts out this beautiful prayer about the righteousness of God. I mean, this little Filipino gal just seized control of the meeting in the spirit. Just let out in this prayer. It was bold and powerful. I mean, the awe of God came into that place. And that just triggered one thing after the other. This One song came up. Everybody sang the song. Some, one guy stood up and gave a teaching about the last days. It was, it was, he stood up and paced back and forth. I forget his name. Do you remember that teaching, Amy? The guy with the beard. He talked about the last days and carrying your cross. It was powerful and it was instructive. It was a good teaching. It was a good prophetic word, keeping us uh, close to the foundation of life. And then here and there, you know, a, a, a prophetic word, an exhortation, another song. And the whole thing, it looked like it, it, it and felt like it was scripted, like it was a planned, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, like a drama of some kind. It was just beautiful. And then when it was all over, when, when finally you felt the release from that kind of varied participation of the saints, the leaders did not speak forth, at least the main leaders of that gathering, until the very end to close things out. They had no part. And then there were special things we prayed for. We prayed for Art, I think, to go to New York. And they prayed for me for some things, maybe Scott, I don't remember. But that's when the leaders kind of closed things off. But it was just this... The, this, this beautiful expression of the saints in the spirit without it being flaky or superficial at all. Just, I mean, First uh, Corinthians fourteen twenty six I think, is the verse. Each one has a psalm, a, a revelation, a teaching, a prophecy. Let all things be done in order. That's got to happen sometime in life. That's not there just to, you know, put a little in, uh, extra ink on the page to hold the table up. This, the treasures are in the saints. Leadership has a role to equip them, but the treasures are in the saints. So that's got to happen sometimes. So that's another kind of meeting, the freestyle. And there's, there's, there's all kinds of variations on this. As I say, um, oh, I go on. Okay, don't worry. I will uh, expedite the things I have to say today. You only have one page of notes. I have here another example, meetings that honor the children. And uh, what I mean by that is not where they have to you know, dominate the situation, but in family units... We're going to have to do something to, to take care of the children, and they'll have to be separate at times, but other times they should be integrated, and perhaps some meetings can integrate the children totally. So they may not go as deep at times, if that's the case. Sometimes I think we'll be surprised with what the children can do and come up with. You know, we would experience things like that in revival where the children had profound words. And, you know, my kids, when they're under a burden, have very significant things to bring. Um, but, you know, as families, we should at least have times where some of the meetings are geared toward the children. And the ones that are not geared toward them, we integrate them where we can. And where they can't be integrated directly, especially if we have really tiny kids, then we, we plan on giving, you know, certain tools to help these family gatherings do something meaningful with the children in another room where it's not a burden. It's still not a burden on all the moms who need some time to worship God and not be running after their children constantly. So we're going to come up with things about that. I think I mentioned that near the end anyway. 
Uh, so note that the meetings that I just talked about earlier can include the children to whatever extent the house church desires or is able. Child care is up to each house church, but we will still help by developing a system in which our teens, that's our idea, our youth group age kids, one of their areas of service will be to care for the smaller children during house church meetings. And we'd like to rotate them out so that they can both participate and help with different house churches watching the kids. So this will include meaningful interaction with the kids, teaching them where possible some kids can only be babysat or you know maybe prayed for but you know they're so small but we we want to get our our younger people who are part of our house churches involved in serving and helping the the moms and the parents in that way Uh, some parents their their kids are so small and they maybe they're not so good at going off with someone else they may still have to watch their kids for a season but you know the house churches can work together for this Number six, personal ministry meetings is another format that would be a good suggestion where people come in and they share their burdens or their personal prayer needs. And then the different uh, gathering members pray and prophesy uh, for over each member or prayer for healing so that we're keeping one another, you know, whole and healthy in the Lord. You know, we're sharing deeper burdens, you know, maybe really deep issues should be shared with a smaller, closer, uh, a smaller, closer, a smaller and more close knit uh, group of friends. You know, I would I would like to see that also, you know, small clusters of two to three men and two to three women uh, who are really keeping one another discipled and nurtured and accountable in the Lord. I think that would be a good expression, too. But on a certain level in these house church meetings, it's good to unburden our hearts and get prayer from one another and pray for one another, prophesy over one another and pray into one another's life and health and destiny and people need healing people got aches and pains and troubled spots and you know i don't know what to do with my kids in this situation and sometimes if you just get on your knees together and cry out to god it's miracle after miracle and testimony after testimony if we would really invest in the things of the spirit while we're investing in these relationships i think in all of this we find one another so personal ministry meetings of course this whole list can be mixed and matched you understand that This is just giving some practical concepts of what happens for those of us who may not really be able to see it right now. And also suggestions for those who could be future leaders. Uh, Mission-oriented meetings, which I'm talking about today. Number seven, if you have your notes. Uh, This is intercession for open doors of ministry uh, for our house church members at work, school, and in in their neighborhoods. There could be missionaries you're supporting, you're praying for them. Or spirit-led brainstorming for relational spirit-anointed outreach. In your city, in your neighborhood, this is where you get together and you say, look, we're going to tackle this thing. Uh, Let's pray specifically about the mission of the kingdom being expressed through our house church. Because this is what I'm teaching on today, so I might as well give you a commercial about it before I get to it. We can't just think about ourselves as families. We have to get in our spirit, not just hear me say it, but get in our spirit. We are all on mission. The family of God, by nature, is on mission. That's why Jesus spoke identity over his people when he talked about the kingdom. You are the light. You are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. And, and we, part of the psychosis is that whether we want to admit it to not or not, even some people here, and I'm not thinking of specifics, I just know the rhythm from experience. Some of us here who are really into the community thing, and we're here, we want to be joined if, you know, with Gladstone, because he's doing that house church thing. And that's what we're all about. We believe in community. 
even some of us, we, that psychosis has rubbed off on us to such a degree. We still, we, we still see the big gathered church as the main evangelistic moment instead of thinking ourselves, no matter what our personality is, even if we're different than some flaming evangelist, we are all flaming missionaries for the gospel. That's why we're alive on the earth, and that's one of the reasons why we have family. God didn't just give the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his son. Do you see? It was the son of God. It was rooted in family and community that God was on mission. The two are one, right? We are social beings. The greatest fruit of the gospel is, is its work in social contexts. In the church as family and outside of the church in society. So God spared not his son. It was the son of man that came to seek and save the lost. If we really are rooted in family, we feel the heartbeat of God. And we, are, we, we have the mentality in our spirits that we are on mission. Very, very important. And I, I prophesy this. If we will catch this, you all will agree with it to some degree. Some of you may not agree with everything I'm saying about house churches, so I'm not assuming that. I'm not trying to impose this on, on any of you. But most of you will agree with much of what I'm saying. But it's one thing to agree to it. I'm telling you, when this thing becomes a germ that infects you, it will change everything. When we have in our spirit a transformation that everything in the kingdom is family and mission. And it's something that's inside of you. It's not just something that I'm whining about. Even I need some screws tightened, some leaks tightened in my heart in terms of this mission issue. So it's always who I am. Now, I'm not saying I always try to minister to everything that moves. I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, although better erring on the side of caution. But I'm talking about having something really in my spirit where everything is relationships. Everything is the spirit, both in terms of family and mission. If if we catch this, it will define everything that's confusing and will indeed bring revival to this city. There is no secret to what will bring revival. It's when the people of God get infected by the yeast of the kingdom. And that's all about family and it's all about mission. There is nothing else. But we have laid straw men over the image of the kingdom. And we've become distracted by our very mission. So our idea of mission is mostly come on into our big assembly. Come on in. Come on in. Well, there's nothing wrong with welcoming people. That's fine. But we stunt our growth when we do that. The kingdom spreads like wildfire or like leaven in a lump. That's a good introduction to where I'm going. But I'm still on these mission-oriented meetings. Where we might have a burden as a house church to say, let's pray about this. You know, I know one church planter, when a church starts with three people in the inner city, Kansas City, that they spend time together to get to know one another and they go on prayer walks for a certain amount of weeks in the part of the city where they're planted. And, you know, when God calls them together. And then after a few weeks of prayer walking, then they really, they ask the Lord to give them breakout forms of outreach to inner city kids or just their relationships at work. And they just begin to bring people into their, into their group as they witness. So they'll start with these missionary-oriented prayer meetings and then move out to more deliberate evangelizing. Number eight is just some notes on all these comments. These are only suggestions. They can be mixed and matched. Uh, they take training and practice. Leaders will rise in the environments of these house churches. 
And other churches will be planted out of these groups. We do not want to grow one big assembly bigger and bigger and bigger. We want to multiply like wildfire. In that sense, I'm not, in fact, planning a church at all. That's a rumor. What I'm trying to do is lay out a sphere of ministry and authority in which churches will be planted. And they'll look smaller on the outside, but they'll be a thousand times bigger than mega churches because they're spreading. They're multiplying. And you get more leaders that way and more churches. And yes, there'll be solidarity under those that are in this sphere. There'll, there'll be gatherings like this, but we gotta, we got to kind of roll up our sleeves and get to where the people are. And, and the church naturally are the most practical, gritty people on the earth. So we have to recover that. Examples of specialized groups. Uh, this is just, you know, they don't have to be the house churches, but other people might get together for different reasons for, for equipping in certain areas. Like new believers will need discipleship, the development of relationships, preparation for house church involvement, immersion in our larger core values. Uh, so we're going to have, probably have to have groups just for new believers that some of the house churches will help sponsor. Some of you involved in the creative arts, you're all going to need to get together and come up with some good ideas and encourage one another for training, expression, for worship, for encouragement. And some of you really creatives are going to be able to reach people that no other kind of uh, expression will be able to reach. You're going to have to get into some of the weirdness in the city and, and bring the light of Jesus Christ uh, there also, there's the youth and adults. I mean, I want I want family to be first, but you know, kids need their peers on some level, and so there can be activities just for them and uh, and planning as they serve the house churches that they're involved in and certain outings that they have. And I, I, you know, I don't believe in the traditional youth group, but I still see it on some level because the kids like to be together, and I think that's good and important as long as the larger context is family and service. There's going to be times that they're just going to need to get, get together and have fun and encourage one another on their peer level. So there's that also. And, of course, there's leadership training. And number five is etc. <clears throat> Turn to Romans chapter 10. No, I lied. Acts chapter 8. This all-important but shorter unit is called Family on Mission. And it's a good, uh, we gave a good segue to that from the house church format we talked about last. Our three texts are Acts 8, I'm going to start with that one, then 1 Peter 2, and then Romans 10. Acts 8, 4 is one verse. Family on mission, it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now, the therefore connects us with the, the death of Stephen. He was martyred. And then Saul who's taking the martyrdom of Stephen to a whole other level and is spreading a persecution, not only locally, but about to go to Damascus, where he's going to make this one of the policies of of local Judaism, uh, that he's going to spread this persecution. So this this was a very harsh attack against the church, the Messianic community. And as a result of that, not only were people in prison, but as a result in verse 4, people were scattered. This is not just the apostles, by the way, whose missionary activity is what is highlighted in Acts. The missionary activity that's highlighted is the apostles with some others, like one of the seven, or two of the seven, right? Stephen and Philip. 
Stephen was highlighted, but he was one of the seven. What was he before he was one of the seven? He was just in the congregation. But he was recognized in the congregation as an extraordinary man in the spirit. So he was raised up as a leader. The, the word deacon is not used. It's the verb. So I wouldn't call him a deacon. He oversaw a ministry. He was a leader. And then that local leadership blossomed into a public witness by which he got killed. Philip also, sorry, that was sounded a little bit negative and morbid. I'm going too quickly, but it is what happened. Philip's ministry, he again was just a member of the congregation and a productive fruit-bearing member who was seen as an extraordinary man of the spirit with leadership abilities. So he was chosen by the congregation to oversee a task. And from that area of leadership, he was promoted by the spirit into full-time evangelism of some kind. So all of this came out of these different situations. Well, there's those kinds of things are highlighted in Acts, but you don't hear about the uh, many of the just the people. You know, there's not a lot of names given, but there's a general statement here in verse four. Those who had been scattered, we're talking about congregation members who had been scattered. They went about preaching the word. In Greek, it says they were evangelizing the word. They were proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming the good news did not necessarily mean standing on a street corner or in a church building in front of a crowd. It meant that sometimes, but not always. What it meant in this context was that people in the faith were sharing the story of God and Jesus Christ with people outside of the faith. They were sharing the story. And that story had power. The words themselves were spirit and life, and people were impacted. Moms, dads, uncles, aunts, cousins, and kids. In their social context of Judaism especially, then it started to reach these Gentiles, and these Greeks start getting saved in Antioch. And now they're believing the story, and they're like, hey, can we have in too? Yeah. And it became a controversy, but it was that, that that's how much power this message had. It, the people who were scattered, the people like you and me, when they were scattered, they evangelized the message. The story of God in Christ. Particularly the resurrection of Jesus. Here's how it culminated. The Prince of Peace was raised from the dead. God would not allow him to decay. His death was the ultimate sacrifice. And his resurrection is the dawning of that new era that God promised in the Old Testament. And now he's poured out his spirit. And he just tells the story. You can have in right now. Your story can come out of the wasteland and be incorporated into this great narrative called salvation. You could be brought in. That's what preaching the word was. It was you and me sharing the story with the people we worked with, played with. In this case, synagogue, village, you know, they had a lot of community already in that environment. So they shared this story. And you guys, people got saved. And it spread because they had this message. Something more propositional in terms of the way it's written in First Peter chapter 2. You can turn there. What does it begin in verse 9? It does. First Peter 2.9. I often use this passage just to speak of the identity of the church. But here is family on mission. There's the missionary aspect of the church is revealed here. Verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It, it, It really can't get clearer 
Peter's not just speaking to the leaders or those that we send as missionaries. He's speaking to the congregations that are scattered about all the areas that he identified in the first chapter. And he says, you are now, you are the people of God. These Exodus titles and other places, they now apply to you. You are God's precious possession. God is in you and God's nature is expressed through you. The reason why you are is so that you can announce to the world the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This word excellency is a rare but precious Greek word that speaks of excellency as actually a great translation, but it's the idea of the miraculous, the divine, the otherworldly, the spectacular. You are meant to proclaim these things about God. Praise God. Family on mission. You guys are all hot out there. I can see that. Are you okay, though? Are you going to be okay? I'm moving right along. I'm going to get you out of here at a good time. Don't worry. Don't be sad. Don't be mad. Be glad. Praise God for running water. Amen. I'm not joking. I, I, to this day, thank God for running water. I love running water. If things get really bad in this country and I don't get, that's one thing. The computer would be really bad. If I don't have access to a computer, running water would be worse. Those of you who've been missionaries or on mission trips, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, that was a little break in the action, a little levity. Was that enjoyable? I hope you all enjoyed that. Romans chapter 10. I'm serious. Sometimes when I'm I'm all done getting ready for bed at night, I'll tell my wife, Gina, I'm so thankful for running water. I I don't even have anything fancy in my shower, but it's like the coolest thing I have on the earth. I love it, especially in the summer. (laughs) What kind of warp job are you, dude? I want to read this lengthy passage of scripture. It's, uh, I just feel like I was supposed to do that. So maybe most of chapter 10 will begin in verse 1. Is that cool? Paul is in midstream in the section of Romans that discusses uh, the salvation of Israel in the context of the nations, which is the culmination of the story of salvation. That's what he's in the middle of right now. Because Israel is the key to the nations. Then the the fullness of the nations becomes then in reverse the key to Israel, which is the key to the return of the Lord, which is the culmination of the gospel. That's what this is all about. So that's why he begins in verse one, since we're picking it up midstream. I wanted to give you context. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel, for them, the Jews around the world. My heart's prayer and desire for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now let me just pause and tell you where he's going here. Verse 3 kind of makes this passage most practical for us who can't really understand what the big deal is about Israel. Because now here's where Paul talks like a reformed person. Righteousness by faith. What we don't realize is this issue of righteousness by faith always had a social context to the apostles. Righteousness by faith means that Gentiles can be incorporated into the people of God and that Jews also must believe to come in. Righteousness by faith is not just some abstract teaching that's for the reformed. It has social 
fruit. It's always, it, it always looks like family. Even of Jews and Gentiles coming together. The issue is not just, wow, Jews and Gentiles. It's not just that they're Jews and Gentiles. It's that a new family has formed. That is always the purpose of righteousness by faith. God's global family coming back together. Or perhaps coming together for the very first time. So he's not just talking about how the Jews always were legalistic. That is part of it, but it leads somewhere. So, so they've tried to establish righteousness of their own. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is, to bring the Messiah down. Or, who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring the Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. Do you hear what he's saying there? You don't have to go grab Christ up from heaven and prove to the world he's the king of everything and he is the Messiah for the Jews. And you don't have to demonstrate again his resurrection. He doesn't have to appear here physically. You have something equally as powerful. The message that is by faith. The story of God. That God sent his son. He died for our sins. He raised him from the dead. He now rules over all. If you believe on him, you'll be saved. That story is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You do not have to go through all these exercises to to prove that Christ is real. Preach this particular message. Share this story. I don't care how much we've been turned into a cliche in the eyes of men that political correctness and this, uh, this intolerance has redefined us and now we have to apologize. If we will return to family and the message, people will be harvested by the power of God. We do not need any tricks. We don't even have to have, you know, Christ reappear from the dead because the message that is by faith is the appearance of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Paul is speaking to the saints that are in Rome. This message will bring Christ about in your city. Tell his story. Be it, and that's the whole context, that's everything he's working on in Romans is reuniting family of Jews and Gentiles in Rome. That's the whole, the whole epistle is leading to this. The climax of, the, of the, the proclamation, Romans 9 through 11, where he speaks about the role of Israel, its salvation, in the context of the nations. And then, right after that, everything is practical about, y'all get along. Honor. Don't fuss over these things. Yes, it's hard for a Jew and a Gentile to get together on certain issues. Give one another a break and get along in harmony. Because that's the living family demonstration of God and Messiah to your world. So let me tell you something. Live it as family, which is the whole goal of Romans, and then say it out of your mouth. Tell the story, and you will see revival in your city. Praise God. Let's get over our spiritual psychosis. And pay the great price, and it is a great price, to enter into real spiritual family and into real mission. And we will suddenly become revival in our city, and 
There'll be a whole new level of target against us too, but there'll be a whole new level of spirit, Holy Ghost success. Amen. So this word of faith is what we're preaching. I just love that authority. I mean, when Paul sets out to prove the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, when he sets out to prove that Jesus is raised from the dead, what's his first line of proof? The gospel says he's raised. The gospel says it. There's no greater authority on the earth. The gospel says, this is the gospel I've preached to you. He's alive from the dead. This gospel has been transforming Jews and Gentiles all over the world at its speaking. When I preach this gospel, the Spirit of God rushes in and heals everybody of their cancers, their goiters, and people get turned around and plugged in together. I mean, it absolutely transforms people from darkness to light. If that gospel says he's alive from the dead, then he is alive. There's power in that message. Praise God. So that's why Paul says, this is, it's the, the message of faith. That we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. See that's ultimately what's on his mind. All you got to do is believe and you're in. But Paul's not just a reformer saying that. He's saying the result is all humans are the same in the sense they have to believe in Jesus. That's the message we preach. He's alive. You believe. You're saved. And if you believe with all your heart, you're saved. So much so you'll confess him before God and men. And whatever ruin that brings you as a Roman citizen or as a Jew, if you say that Yeshua is kurios and you, you mean it from your heart, you are in, you are transformed, and you're all now one new family. That's all where he's going. Family and mission are absolutely married together forever. And if I can catch this and you can catch this in our hearts, this will be what is absolutely definitive for everything that I'm trying to do and trying to talk about with you guys. This is it. I don't care what else we do, what else we organize. If we catch this in our hearts, that we are family and we are mission. And and we do that by investing in relationships and the spirit. We are absolutely positively unstoppable and all arguments about what church is will stop at least among those who are really paying attention it will suddenly become irrelevant and we will see a harvest that we will be incapable of keeping up with there's nothing more powerful than the church of jesus christ we will do our greatest damage to the homosexual agenda by the righteousness that is by faith they getting some of these people saved and suddenly they're voicing this it's it's over I mean, some of them already do that, but I mean when it happens where it does damage to the agenda because people are getting saved, that's power. But it's not going to happen without a church that corresponds to the reality of what it preaches. And we've, tend, we've tended to lose both, both the family and the mission thing, but we're seeking to recover it. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. He's the same Lord of all. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how will they call on him him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? That's That's not the guy who wears the black tie, who pastors a little church in the south, the preacher. Praise God for all the good done, but preachers are people who tell the story about Jesus. He's not talking about just apostles or missionaries. 
So they're some of the strongest representatives because they dedicate their life to it. But we all are the ones who articulate the message, the preacher. My father-in-law, you know, came up a good, good, fine Christian man in the Baptist South. Down the street, there was a preacher who never, ever, ever would be seen in public without his tie on because he's the preacher. And they told stories of him mowing his lawn in this great southern heat. This is not an exaggeration. I'm not making this up. Shirt and tie. Because he's the preacher. And God bless His reward is probably stacked a million miles high for all the people he won to the Lord. But that's not what the preacher is. The preacher is this. (laughs) It's the people who rub shoulders with people and tell the story of Jesus. And, And with the foundation of enough love ourselves to get involved in their story ourselves. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The the whole concept we have to catch that I'm seizing on here, I may not even need to get much to your notes, is that we have to have the mentality that we're sent. We're not just existing. We're sent. Amen. And it's no longer just the job of those who coordinate ministry outreaches or the preachers, which is where the real price is going to be paid. I believe that if we catch mission, we'll get more family than if we just try to have family. Because we'll be brought together with such commonality. Mission will create family. We can't just whine about trying to have more community. Though we, we have to do some whining about that. We have to focus on family. Focus on the family. But the, the, whole, the whole issue of mission, it's, it's like that's the tuning fork. And we all, when we're getting tuned toward that, there'll be harmony among us that's deeper. However, they didn't all heed the good news. Isaiah says, who's believed our report? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And I'm going to stop there for now. Let's look quickly at your notes. I want to remind you of the kingdom triangle, especially those who are are visiting us. I already talked about it, but I'm going to draw it for you here again. The kingdom of God is our primary focus, and it always looks like family, and it always looks like mission at the same time. When the kingdom comes down, it looks simultaneously like family and mission. Family on a mission. Mission, kingdom mission done by family. And the way that we achieve this is by investing, there's the I for investing, in relationships and the spirit. It has all got to be supernatural, and it's all got to be through the vehicle of relationships. Any other kind of outreach we do, if it's of the spirit, praise God, do your public witness, your prophetic consciousness to, to express to our city, amen and amen and amen. Do it. But the most effective forms of touching people's lives is by the direct power of the Holy Spirit through actual relationships. That's always the most effective and always statistically in the kingdom, the one that actually works. When you just befriend people. I'm not saying there's always time to befriend everyone. I'm not saying there's not time. I mean, God sent me to go up to somebody and share something with them that I'll never see again. I've done it a bunch of times in my life. Just share the good news or someone he gives me a prophetic word for some woman in Walmart once in California. I had to go up and give it to her. I said, I feel like you have a prophetic gift. I don't even know if you're born again, but the Lord showed me that. She was astounded. It was very special to her. Then I told her about Jesus. 
Same thing with the guy in the plane once. I, I start feeling this thing in my heart and actually physically in my body. And I said, excuse me, sir, forgive me for asking, but are you a teacher? He goes, yeah. I saw you reading your Bible. Is that where you get this from? How'd you know? I said, yeah. I said, the Lord showed me. I said, but you have a destiny to be a teacher. I, uh, and he was a teacher, but in the kingdom. And so that was a way in to speak to him about Jesus, which, of course, I did. And he had some things in his life that weren't right either, for sure. But, uh, you know, he was open because the spirit. But, uh, you know, I, I, I offered to follow up with him. It was a plane ride. Never going to see him again. Praise God for all that. Go for it. But long term, it's got to be relational. You know, God didn't. God didn't send me to be the missionary on planes. I live in Charlotte. I do travel a lot, but the people, I, my, my community is Charlotte. So if I'm here, they're the one, you know, there's a development of relationships that has to occur. Number two, restoration is one of our core values. Restoration is what we focus on. Wherever God rules, there's shalom. We talked about this previously. God's overall plan in letter A there, not only in letter A, but in the whole universe, God's overall plan is to restore everything in Christ. And so our, our goal is to see people made whole in Christ. So if we think that way, if our message is the gospel, if our purpose is witness, our goal is restoration. That keeps our hearts in love rather than just chasing statistics or fulfilling our religious duty. But if we really can, can envision people becoming whole, forgiven, reconciled, healed, delivered, all because God is ruling them through the power of the gospel, then that always keeps us focused. And that's also part of the unction that keeps us on mission. There's people that, you know, sinners are simultaneously guilty and victimized by sin. It's not one or the other. They're both guilty and they're victims. That's why... The Lord has so much mercy on, on people who are downright guilty because they're also hurt by their own guilt and he pities them. Some people are so self-destructive, they're absolutely pathetic and they need more than to be told what they're doing is wrong. They need to be healed. <laughs> and you'll see Jesus had a lot of balance in the way he approached things. There was that righteous standard, but there's also this, look, I don't condemn you either. <laughs> now go and stop sinning, Right. Matthew 10, 5 through 15. We don't have to turn. Well, I'm going to turn there. I have to. You don't have to. Matthew 10. <clears throat> Jesus sends the 12 uh, into a, a mission during his ministry. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't, don't interact with Gentiles. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal sick, raise dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Wherever you preach, you have to bring restoration, he said. There's got to be power ministry. You have to restore people. <clears throat> Don't acquire gold, silver, copper for your money belts, no bag for your journey, coat, staff. The worker is worthy of his support. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who's worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. So, yes, they're missionaries, but even then there's a home base because they're thinking locationally and in terms of a village community. It's not just evangelistic work. It's family work. That's why even in Luke, he says, don't leave that house. Don't keep going. When you're in a village, don't go to all these different houses. Win a family. Because if they open their door to you and get saved, they're probably leadership quality. 
And you'll be able to leave them, and that village will become a family in Christ, or at least those who choose to. You see the pattern there? It's very, it's very house-oriented. Not just because it's better than a building. It's because he thinks family. He says, eat what's set before you. Don't keep going all these different places. Make one house your home base, because if they let you in to begin with, that's an indication that they're people of influence and that God's opening their hearts. And also, it's better to have a base, because you think locationally and you think in terms of family. If the house is worthy, I'll give it your greeting in verse 12. If the house is worthy, give it your peace. If it's not worthy, take back your peace. If they don't receive you, then you have to shake the dust off your feet and pronounce judgment. <clears throat> but your way, our, our way into an area is always through a person of peace, a person who's worthy. I don't think that's changed. There's some things that have changed logistically, but we need the wisdom to recognize sons of peace in a community. You don't, you don't just get out and start shooting buckshot. You have to find key people and think family and think relationally. Key people, families, and relationships. That has not changed. You can't just hit buckshot. It always happens. You, God always reaches the many through the one. Always. He wants an Israel nation. He starts with Abraham. He wants to reach all these different nations. He has one nation. Right? He wants a new community. He starts with his son, Jesus. And he starts this whole... But if, if, the, if the one does it, he sets the tone for the rest. It's the way he works. He says, how was that whole Samaritan village, that, that whole city, taken through one key woman? That was it. It, it. it took Jesus probably a matter of hours to fill that entire village with his presence because of that one woman. I can't imagine that conversation with him took more than an hour or two. And her heart was completely one. As much of an outsider as she may very well have been in her own community, certainly to the Jews and to Jesus socially on a human level, uh, she was a woman of influence that if he sparked something in her, don't get me wrong, she's not just a statistic. He loved her. But she also was a woman with the kind of influence that if he gets her, he gets everyone. Jesus said, you, and, and the word is strong, especially in Luke, search for a son of peace. Inquire is the word in English, but the word in Greek is a strong word. Do your research and find who it is. Or pray, get supernatural revelation. But find key people. Don't give me your cutesy outreach ideas. Find key people. The, the more effective in ministry than good ideas is good people. Find key people. We've got to work smarter, not harder. And I feel like if we're already investing in relationships among ourselves, it picks, you know what it does? It develops a rhythm that, that's people-oriented. You know, you might be sitting out there saying, you know what, I'm not like that people-oriented. I'm, I'm not a skilled relationally person like others. I'm not, but you know, we all have our place in this. I'm not, not every one of you has to take all of Charlotte. Some of you will come behind others that are better socially and lead the way. You see what I'm saying? But this has to be our value system. And then, of course, you'll always have your own circle of friends anyway. All right. Number three, family and mission. Whoo, yeah. I'm going a little long. So next week was unplanned, so we're going to finish this next time. When I start on family and mission, here's what we're going to do. I'll start on family and mission next time. I'll finish this, and then we will talk about our house churches
on how we're breaking up. Can you come next time? Because next time it'll happen. Um, I'm going to go through the rest of this. Please bring your notes back. We're going to talk about some practical things of what family and mission look like. And, and I'm even going to have someone come up and give you an example of something he did. Just God gave him an idea, very simple in his neighborhood, to invest in relationships in order to reach people. That's what we'll do next time, and we'll talk about house churches also. Because next time is our last week together before we launch the house churches. Because the next week we have off after that, which is the fourth, right? Or that, that weekend. Yeah, the fourth. And then the 11th, we begin the house churches. We're taking a break from classes until we get the house churches established. So there you have it. And it's going to be interesting because I see a bunch of new faces every time we get together. That's cool. So tell your friends, if you're, if you're here, you're here consistently and you, you know people that aren't here, tell them about, you know, giving us their information. Maybe they could do it on Facebook. Fill out a card. Give us their information. Can we monitor that? Tell, tell your friends. The Lord bless you. And, and, and put peace and grace on your family and in your household. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that there will be an absolutely new, fresh wind of the Spirit blowing into your home and into your hearts. That, that something from what was said today will trigger in your heart and change you. Because just like, uh, and I'm still in prayer, but I'm speaking over you. Just like we talked about key people out in the world. Every one of you is a key person that if God catches something in your heart, you're a key to a whole sphere of, of, of society around you. So I'm, I just I pray for you and I speak over you that there would be revival in your heart in these matters. That you would go out of here and increasingly after this day feel like you are sent by God with grace to reach the people around you. To be a teller of the story of Jesus and to be a person who's skilled in the spirit. In relationships and in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Wonderful to have you and thank you for helping us just by being here in all this heat.